and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're still in our series that I've been working on here, and that's on um, a theology of God, uh, using the language of the Bible to kind of inform what we are saying here. Um, a lot of this comes from a, a, a book of theology that I was introduced to several years ago. It's been one of my main guides in, in, in my preaching, and that's um, Alan Coppage's book, The Portraits of God, where he goes through and gives different um, metaphors for God and takes them and describes them and says, this is how this fits into God's holiness. And even more than that, it takes this idea of, of uh, theology, which we often think of as something that's real lofty, and brings it down to um, application or practice, th things that God has called us to do. And uh, so that's, that, that's my goal this morning. I want to talk to you today about God as Father. God as the Father. So let's read those verses together in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 43. Matthew 5, 43. <clears throat> These are the words of Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the just and the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God that you would add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, may it go forth and not return void, as we know it does, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, we live in a time in, in recent years that, that there are some deep, deep divisions within our country. And, and not, not, not those um, differences are seen uh, nowhere better than in, in an election season. Uh, even in a, um, a by-election, I call it, you know, an election between... Uh, presidential elections. This is a, um, um, a congressional and, and some, some governor's races and those kinds of things. Um, so we want to pray for our country. And, and, and I pray more so that these deep divisions um, would go away. Now, now those causing divisions, um, to be honest with you, I hope they get voted out. <laughs> because uh, there, there are those who are, are purposely set on uh, dividing us as people, and I think that it's wrong to do that. But we, we live in an age where you, um, groups demand that you um, conform to their idea or else you get canceled or, or you get uh, oppressed or you get moved out. Uh, there's, there, there's a lack of love in this country right now, of, of, of a true love for other people. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you today is about the love of a father and what that means. Uh, <clears throat> we have a pastor, and I'm going to shout out to a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Russ Cochran. In, in every meeting that we have in our board of ministry relations, uh, just about everyone, um, he always asks our candidates, what is your relationship with your father? What is your relationship with your father? Some, especially our younger pastors, 
um, I've noticed um, that they, they were estranged from their fathers for, for years, and, and a lot of times that they, they've um, cultivated a new relationship with them. Uh, th those that have come from harsh backgrounds. Uh, some have great relationships with their father. But I think it's very, very true that our, the relationship with our earthly father helps us to understand or, or relate to God as father. If you have a father who's, who's very stern, um, sometimes uh, we, we tend to view God in, in a, in a, as a stern parent. Uh, if, your, if your father was abusive, um, you know, a lot of people don't like the term father and are turned off by the term of, of God as being father because they have an abusive relationship with their father. Their father abused them for years. Or either that, and, and this is where we are today, a lot of fathers are checked out um, of their children's lives. Um, they're, they're more um, procreators than they are fathers, in other words. Uh, they, they uh, you know, um, for whatever reason, they, they decided to have uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. The girl gets pregnant and they tend to run away. And that, that's become a norm in our society. And, and it's sad to see that we have a whole fatherless generation of kids uh, that are out there. But, but our relationship with our earthly fathers often inform us of, of um, who God is. And especially the idea of God as Father. And what we know from the Scriptures is that God is most certainly a loving and committed Father to those especially who come uh, to Him through the Son, Jesus Christ. We become joint heirs with, with uh, Christ. We, we become sons of the living God as well when we come and accept Jesus Christ and His will and His way by faith. Christ here is speaking to His disciples and there was also a crowd about him, about what it means to be in God's kingdom. And so what he, what he tells them here is that being in God's kingdom really is sort of like the family relationship. Um, we are to, I mean, especially in chapter 6 he talks about this. The Lord's prayer is a family prayer. It starts off, our, God our Father, you know. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> what, what they're saying here is, what he's saying here is, God acts as a father to those who are sons of the Father, who, who come along with Jesus Christ and, and, and obedi in faith and obedience to God, to God. He becomes their father just as the Father is the Father of the, of the Son, Jesus Christ. We enter into a family relationship with God, an intimate relationship that God and, and His Son, Jesus Christ, shared, that they, they've shared it from before the beginning of time, uh, we, we, we believe, and, and I believe the, the Scripture teaches us, that Jesus is uncreated and that the term Son um, uh, refers to the, the relationship that He has with God. That they are both co-eternal, co-equal in power. They've always been, always existed. Um, in the Gospel of John especially, John emphasizes the fact that Jesus was there at the beginning at creation, but that the term Son... Um, represents their intimate relationship. Everything that Jesus has comes from His Father. And Jesus is the inheritor of all that belongs to God the Father. And, and Father really is, is a metaphor in Scripture for God. 
Um, It's not as mentioned as explicitly in the Old Testament, but the idea is there. But especially Jesus introduces us in, in particular ways to the idea of God as Father. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God is male. And I think um, that's one of the biggest mistakes of Christianity is that um, we, we tend to look at the term father as, as maleness. Um, and it is for us um, as human beings. But for God, God, God is spirit. And God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth, Jesus said. God, God is not a male. God is father because of his relationship uh, to the world and especially to believers. And, and, and I think the, the primary idea here of God as Father is His love. His love for, for those that He has created. His love for His children. There is a sense in which God as Father is, uh, a, a, as the Creator, is, is, is the Father of all the earth. And He has uh, you know, m- many children that He has created. But again, the term Father does not necessarily exactly refer to the idea of God as the creator of all things, but of the special relationship that God has with His Son, Jesus Christ. And and as believers in Jesus Christ, we get to share in that relationship. I think the term Father also indicates uh, something different, that Christianity, for one, is different than paganism. And why is that? Because in paganism, the relationship between um, you know, the, the gods and the earth is more expressed in the term mother. I mean, this is why we, we call nature Mother Nature. <laughs> is, is that the, the woman and, and the connection with humanity has, is expressed through, through motherhood because there's a more intimate connection between a mother and her child. There, there's what the old pagan term, um, uh, the, 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 old, the, old, the idea of old paganism has to do with continuity. That, that God is, is intimately connected to the earth you know, in, in physical, in, in very real essential ways. That there's really no difference between God, the gods, and between nature, and between human beings. No separation whatsoever. We call it continuity. That, that, that they're all part and parcel of the same nature. They all partake of the same nature. There's no separation. Everything that you see was worshipped as a god in paganism, right? The rocks, the trees, the hills, the rivers, the sky, the sun, the moon. All of those things that were part of the creation were worshipped by the pagans because of this idea of continuity. There's a continuous connection between the gods and, 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 and the world. The reason that the Bible uses the term father is that in, in, in any birthing process, the father is once removed from the situation, isn't he? I mean, yes, it, it, the, the man and the woman came together to have a child, but the father doesn't ha- have the child. He doesn't have the physical connection with the child that the mother does. It's a statement of his transcendence. Yes, he is intimately involved and he loves the world, but he is not connected to the world in that way. He is not the world and he is not us. It's a statement of his transcendence. Well, at the same time, there's still an intimate love. And those two things about God have to be held in tension. 
God is, is, is transcendent. He is over the above the world. He is not the world and he is not us. But God is imminent in that he is near to us and loves us. And if there is any kind of connection between God and the world, it's through the Son, Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and we have a connection with, with God through, through, through that sonship as well. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we are counted as sons of God with Him. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here when He talks about the kingdom. He says, But I say to you, I mean, first of all, He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. One of the conditions of being a son of the Father who is in heaven is to love other people. Why? Because God loves other people. <laughs> and I would say the primary image of God as Father is not just that of transcendence and eminence, but especially it's His love for, for people. We are to, to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, Jesus said. But we are also to love our neighbor as ourselves. And not just our neighbor. What does he say here in verse 44? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's not um, an easy thing to, for us to, to swallow, is it? <laughs> but God loved his enemies, did he not? God loved those who opposed him. God loved, loved those who rejected him. God loved those who turned against him. God loved Adam and Eve even after they partook of the apple and disobeyed and sinned. I say apple, I mean fruit in general. We don't know what kind of fruit that was on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they disobeyed God. They, they, they lacked trust in Him even though they had walked with Him in the garden and talked with Him and, and, and were in a paradise where, where God was, was over them. They, they, they listened to a deceitful voice and then turned away from God in their hearts. And ever since then, people have turned against God. So much so that um, we, we know that Jesus, you know, quoting the Old Testament, said, No one is righteous, no, not one. The Apostle Paul said that um, um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All humanity has turned away from God and turned to self and have, and have had their foolish hearts darkened, he said. All have become enemies of God because... In our hearts we turned away. There was an original sin that happened in Adam and Eve that corrupted the whole human race and caused them to turn to themselves and turn inwardly instead of loving God and loving others like they should. So in a sense, we were all enemies of God. And yet, throughout the whole history of the Old Testament, God as Father continued to love His children. He picked a family the family of Abraham, because of Abraham's um, belief in God and, and, and because of Abraham's faith in God and his, his obedience, God picked him and his family and his descendants to be the ones to carry his um, wisdom to the world. The Israelites, we call them, the sons of Abraham, the, the, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel. They were the ones to carry God's light and love to the world. And yet even they, the ones who were picked picked to be um, the, the royal priesthood, so to speak, the, the, the spokespeople for God, the lights for God, 
they themselves often turned away from God and, and uh, broke His covenant that He made with them. They turned away from Him, and yet God still consistently loved them. Every time He turned away, He would help them, and, and when, when they cried out to Him, he, he would help them and rescue them from their enemies and, and bring them back together as a nation. Over and over again, God kept His word to them, even when they turned away and rejected Him. The other idea that we've talked about about God, though, is that as a father, He disciplines His children. And, and that, that's kind of where the, the judge aspect comes in. God is the judge of all the earth. But He is also like a father in that even though He loves them, He's going to discipline them when they become wayward. We've all seen what happens when, when we have um, a father who is either checked out or is very, very permissive of his children. They, 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 the kids will act like wild Indians, do they not? But a loving parent corrects their children. Tell, and I'm not talking about being, necessarily being harsh here. Uh, there were times that God had to be pretty harsh, and there's times as a parent, I'm sure you've had to get pretty harsh. But God corrects His children. God, God turns them to the right way. There are times where, where um, the nation of Israel turned wholesale against God and started worshiping pagan gods. And God says, all right, I'm lifting my hand up. You know, I'm, 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 I was supposed to be protecting you, but here comes... Uh, the nation of, of Assyria to come in and wipe you out. Here comes the Babylonians to come and wipe you out. And uh, they took the Israel into, the sla into slavery. Uh, you know, more than once in their history, Israel was in slavery because they ignored God and turned away from Him. God used the, those events to correct them. And I think God does the same thing as Father. A loving Father will do that to put us on the right path to make sure that we do the right things. To make sure that we truly love others as we should. The Father is love. The Father is love. When God um, was with Israel and, 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 and they um, committed themselves to them and He presented His, his, his law to Moses. Um, I, I think that, that's important to understand a family relationship as well. I mean, think about it. Um, I, I, I've heard the story before that there, you know, of, a, of a child who lived in an orphanage who didn't have um, any parents that, that they knew or, or could speak of. And then um, you know, they, they longed to get adopted. They, they, they longed to have a family and love. But, that, but they also wanted structure in their lives. They, they wanted someone who would give them some rules for living. <laughs> When we as believers enter into um, faith in Christ and we accept Him as, as, our, as our Savior, you know, we become part of a household. And, and part of the reason, you know, part of being a household is that there's house rules that we've got to follow. That's how we know we're part of a family unit. That's how we know um, that, that, there's, that there's a structure. That's how we know that, that, that we're part of this, this family of God is that God gives us house rules to follow. Jesus kind of made it easy for us, and He makes it a little bit easy for us here. He says, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength first. Then love your enemies as yourself. And He says, That is the sum of the whole law. That's what Jesus tells us. 
In other words, those, those Ten Commandments given to us in the Old Testament, the moral law, when we truly love God as we should and, and, and worship Him and, and singularly commit ourselves to Him as, as, as our loving Father, when, 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 when we do that, God gives us a relationship. He gives us... He, he's the one who defines the relationship. He's the one who defines the terms. He's the one who gives us these house rules. Those ten house rules are fulfilled then in love. And, and, and love involves more than just this idea of rom romance. It involves more than just the, this idea of, of eroticism. It involves much more than this um, idea of um, uh, friendship. It involves more, more, this, more, more than just... Um, being friendly to our neighbors. It involves more than just uh, uh, liking the people we go to church with and being friends with our, he says, brothers here. If you only greet your brothers, what reward in there is that, said Jesus. The biggest challenge and the most important thing is for us to love our enemies. To love those who hate us. To show love to them. He calls us to love as the Father loves here. The Father is love. And he says something else even more interesting here in my mind. And we tend to hate the word perfect today. And I think it's because we have a modern understanding of the word perfect as, as being the, the, this thing where I have no errors whatsoever. Everything is perfectly in line with scientific reasoning and, and whatever standards we have, uh, we, we tend to think of it in, in a quantitative way. But I think about when a father sees that child being born, um, his, his, his wife is having that, that child and brings that child forth. He looks at that child and he says, oh, she's perfect. Or he's perfect. Now, does that mean that that child has two ears, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, uh, ten fingers and, and ten toes, one belly button? Is that what that means? I don't think so. It's because of, of that love, he's making not a quantitative judgment, but a qualitative judgment. I love this child. It, it, it's me with everything um, that, that I can think of based on my love for them. That child is perfect to me. Jesus is saying here, you therefore must be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. What does that mean? You, you can pull that out of context and think of it in, in, in quantitative ways if you want to. But in context, the way that we are perfect is in our love. Yes, we love our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. We love those who love us. Love us. But the challenge is to love those who hate us. <laughs> the challenge is to love our enemies and pray for them. God's love is, is um, sacrificial, is another way of putting this. God's love is steadfast. And He wants us to be able to love the way that He loves. And what Jesus is saying here, the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount, 
is that if you want to be in God's kingdom, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And people look at this and then they're dropping their jaws. You know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. We've got to have a righteousness that's greater than theirs. Yeah. And they're thinking, well, how can we keep all those 600-some laws that are in the Old Testament? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees comes only through me. Jesus is saying that He is the righteous one and that they need to accept Him in order to be made righteous within. It's not up to us to try to be perfect. It's not up to us necessarily to try to... Um, it's not up to us to, to try to live up to God's standards. God through the Son, Jesus Christ, and what He offers us, helps us. And Jesus, who came, came to earth, who um, took on human flesh, lived a holy life, lived a sinless life, He's saying that the standard isn't sinlessness, it's love. And I can, I can give that to you. If you'll but trust in Me, and if you'll but surrender to Me, He'll help us to love our enemies. And it takes our, it, yes, it takes our will, it takes our faith to, to accept that and receive it. But God, through His sacrifice, has purified our hearts so that we can do it. And if we believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, if we repent of our sins, ask the Son to forgive us, and we believe that He is the Son of God who, who gave His life for us, God comes in with, through the, His Holy Spirit to dwell within us and that Spirit helps, guides us, teaches us, and it purifies our hearts. It transforms us. There is no grace that God gives that's not transformative. It transforms us to love. God the Father is love, and He, help, he enables us to love as a Father loves. And God Himself, as a Father, is willing to sacrifice Himself for us we need to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. So what does that kind of, of love look like? A love that, that, that even exceeds the kind of love we would have for our brother or sister in Christ or, or exceeds um, the, the love for our family. It's to be able to, to love even though we may have, someone may have offended us. I, mean, I think another key word there is Forgiveness. Being able to forgive people. Now, forgiveness does not necessarily mean that, that we excuse what they've done or that, they've, or that they don't, don't escape certain consequences for what they've done. But it means I'm able to let go of it because I love the Lord. And He has taught me that I need to love other people. We need to be able to forgive those who come up against us. And I think about this current political environment, like, we, like I've been saying, and how hard it has been um, to, to be in it. We need to let go of those divisions and be willing to forgive people and love them in the name of Jesus Christ. Even if they don't love us. A lot of times that's seen in our responses to them. You know, people who are on one side of the aisle, you know, they, they, they seem hard-headed and uh, they're an intent on getting their opinion out and they don't care what you think, and, and, and they're, they're rude even, or, or, or they're even trying to, 
control the narrative. I've seen a lot of that lately and people getting canceled off of networks, networks and radio, TV and the internet and whatever, whatever medium that, that they can remove them from. I think our response is important and that is to say I love you and I'm praying for you. You know, I, I wish you well. A lot of times I find that takes the steam out of people who come up against us. And uh, we, we, we trust God to, to whatever consequences are going to happen to that person because God does not allow evil to continue for, forever. And God does not allow offenses against His people to go on forever. A lot of, that, a lot of, that, a lot of the, being able to love our enemies and being forgiving um, is trusting in God to take care of the situation. And, 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 and many times I see, I see Him do that. Sometimes those consequences are in this life. But one thing I know is that in the next life, um, woe is them. <laughs> but our attitude needs to be that of love and say, I want to pray for you. I think for um, another way of, of this kind of, of, of steadfast, sacrificial love is that we do offer the truth to people. We do offer the truth of the gospel to people. We, we, we do confront people who are in, that we know are, are, are in sin. But we have to do it in a loving way. And friend, I think you're going on the wrong path. And you, you need Jesus Christ, and I'll be praying for you. Do it in a way that, that's loving. Do it in a way that's presenting the gospel of love to them. If you start off condemning someone, saying that you're a sinner and you're going to hell, you're going to lose somebody right away. And I would even say this, it isn't our role to judge people. That's God's role. And by judge, I mean condemn. Our role is, 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 is to offer them Christ and to show love and, and offer to pray for them. We have to acknowledge the, the sin, yes, but we always present the truth in love. And I can't think of a, of, of a greater example of this in, in our modern culture than, 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 than this absolute push towards acceptance of different um, ideas about gender. Uh, it has become very, very militant. Maybe it hasn't reached you, but it's become a very, very militant in, in, in a lot of social spaces. We have to respectfully and lovingly offer them Christ. We are we, to love transgendered people. We have to love them. God says you have to love them. Love your enemies. Love those who disagree with you. <laughs> we have to love them. But we offer them the truth of God in Jesus Christ. And, and offer them, offer to pray for them, offer, offer to uplift them. Does that mean that we accept them and, and accept their lifestyle? No. Does that mean that we um, uh, take them in as, as full members of the church? Um, not, not unless they, they repent as the Bible says, and come out of it, because church membership rep represents membership in God's kingdom. Membership in, in, in our church requires um, baptism and a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That means you have to repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> repent. 
But I will say this, even though we talk about the transgender issue these days, we have to remember that that is but one area of human brokenness. And with God, it's always an even playing field. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they are also justified freely by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That comes through His sacrifice, His propitiation, His atonement for us. So yes, they have to repent, they have to come to Jesus, they have to forsake their lifestyle or, or however. And come to Jesus and believe in Him. But we have to love them, whatever, regardless. We have to love them. We have to show them love. That's difficult, especially when there's such militancy involved. Um, I, you know, most transgender people that you might run into may not be as militant as, as some of the ones in the political realm. But we are to love our enemies and pray for them. And that's just one example of, of where we need to, to, to show the love of God. We need to pray that the gospel would go forth and that people would, would hear the gospel and come to believe in Him. That they, God would change their hearts. We need to be praying for them. We may not even always have contact with, with, with um, people that we consider very sinful and, 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 and that those who have um, come up against us and, and going up against God's will and way and going up against God's word and going up against um, all, all those things that God has taught us. But we have to pray for them. And we should be praying for them that God would change our hearts. Not holding on to hate, hatred, but pray that God would change hearts and minds. We need to examine ourselves this morning and ask ourselves, Lord, do we love as you love? Can we love as you love? Can we love that, that person who's come up against me? Can we love those who have openly sinful lives and, and are even throwing it in our faces? <laughs> Can, can, can we love those who, who offend us? Can we love those who come up against us? Can we love those who persecuted us? I could go on with other examples, but I want I to give one more example, and, and that's um, a story I remember from a long time ago from a woman named Corey Tenboom. And she was a um, Christian in Holland, and her family hid Jews from, from the uh, Nazis um, in, in her home. And one of her neighbors um, informed the, the Nazis about it. And so those, those Jews that were hiding in their house were rounded up. Her family was rounded up. She and her sister were separated from her parents. And she and her sister were in a concentration camp. Her sister suffered and died in the concentration camp. Concentration camp. But um, Cory Ten Boom survived those and was freed by the Allies. And she has, she's got several books out. The Hiding Place is her personal story. Uh, Tramp for the Lord is another one. Um, but she, she tells a story one time of um, how she was going around speaking to some of the churches in Germany after that happened. And there was a man that came up to her and he said, um, Sister, it is good to know about the love of Christ and, that, and how He can, he can um, help us to forgive others. And he stuck out his hand to Corey Timboon, 
But Corey Timboom recognized who this man was. He was one of the guards who had beaten her and her sister mercilessly many times in that camp. It was a former Nazi guard. And she immediately recoiled in her thoughts. But she stopped and prayed and said, Lord, I don't have the love, but you help me to have that love. And she said, it was only through the power of God and his love in me that I was able to stick out my hand and take his and said, yes, it is good to know the love and forgiveness of God. That mean he escaped the consequences of what he had done. I'm sure he, he lived in, in um, terror every day after what he had done. <clears throat> and I'm sure that he felt the, the guilt and the shame of that forever. It would always be with him. But can we, are we able to forgive? We can only do it with, with, with God and through his help. Can we love in the same way? Let's stand. <clears throat>